one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to Podcast 116. My name's Dan Moylan, with me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, otherwise known as Moscow White. Hello. In this podcast, all the thrills and spills on the way, Middlesbrough heroes, villains and swans. And Swansea is when the next issue of our fanzine will be out. Dan James, we can exclusively say, will in some form or another appear on the cover of that fanzine. We're negotiating to see if he'll want to come and sell it for us because I think he's probably going to have nothing better to do for the next few weeks and he'd much rather be standing on the low fields than um, standing on the... Liberty? I don't know what the street's called outside. Long gone. Long gone. Just like he should have been. If you would like to get behind what we do here and support us, grab yourself a digital magazine subscription from our website and you can read 10 years worth of fanzines for a quid a month, including the new one. You can find all that at thesquareball.net. Well, in the last podcast, I confidently predicted a win against Norwich. Michael, you said you were shitting it. And Moscow, you were worried. You two were right and I have to hold my hands up and say... I was wrong. Always wrong to be optimistic where Leeds United are concerned. You should know this. I was shitting it, but not as much as Adam Forshaw, judging by his performance. Very shitting nervous. It and waddling it. Although, was he nervous or was he too relaxed? I'd say maybe too relaxed, if anything. Yeah, there was no straight into him, that second goal. Why? Why put your foot Just, on the ball? Why? There, there wasn't the point for it. We we were repelling a counter-attack. Luke Ayling had just given the ball away. We're under yeah. pressure. Cooper, sliding tackle to save the day. What do we do next? Do we hack it clear and relax and reset? No. Let's all just chill out on the edge of the area for a while. Smoke a beautiful cigarette or something while we're there. Just take it easy. Put on a few Marvin Gaye records. Relax. Because going to do 2-0 down don't matter. <laughs> this is the question for I want to sure. ask. Right, before we get into for sure, and I'm sure no, you No, we will. want to point fingers immediately. <laughs> We will. Is this, do you think, along with the West Brom game, the second game this season where it kind of just got away from us? It didn't feel quite as bad as West Brom. It felt like they didn't really carve out the chances that they scored from. A stupid free kick that we that Pontus gave away when he didn't need to because there was plenty of cover there to stop him anyway. He was just trying to make up for his own error. Then it was deflected, which is cheating. Not in good faith. Second goal, it was, again, it just deflected someone with a tap-in. Again, not in good faith. They've not created that chance. Shouldn't be allowed. Should have just kicked it out of play. Maybe a drop ball, which mm. was... After Pontus had slid and blocked that shot, this was, right, very good, well blocked. That's the end of that opportunity to score. Uh, that's fair. And then the third one, double nutmeg, that's not in the spirit the of the game. The double nutmeg was worse than anything I've ever seen. 
from a distance. We've discussed Pablo, maybe we don't want to do this, but that was something else. Well, let's go back through these errors then, because we had that early free kick in, although you were sort of semi-joking last time, Moscow, you said that uh, we would be in danger of them tippy-tapping it around on the edge of our box, and you predicted uh, Pontus Janssen and Calvin Phillips would both be sent off. Didn't quite mm. go that far, but you were right on the tippy-tapping in the dangerous areas. Yeah, and Daniel Farker, I hadn't expected him to be quite on top of that tactic as possible, but I did notice that there forward players seem to have instructions to run with the ball at the feet of Janssen and Cooper because they weren't trying to play around our defenders. They were just dribbling straight at them and going like, go on, make a mistake. In the instance for the first goal, it was um, Janssen thinking he's uh, Lothar Mateus striding upfield with the ball about 20 yards in front of him as he as he likes to do and then not trusting Liam Cooper to get him out of it. Everything seemed to be all right, but he just went back and swiped the guy's ankles anyway, which was... Annoying. Get Berardi back in, I say. I'm starting to get a little bit I'm starting to get a little bit twitchy about Pontus until he calms down because it wasn't only I mean, I know we should go through the mistakes in order and it didn't lead to a goal, but in the last five minutes, Jansen tried passing to Alioski out of our penalty area and it was the most ludicrous kind of sand wedge chip that pitched up it landed about ten yards short of Alioski, just straight to a Norwich player. And I was thinking, why are you trying these relaxed balls? We're three nil down. Have you just given up and he hadn't just given up because he started the game like that it's not counter-strike punters you've got to concentrate and you're right there we have a lack of players no mention of Daniel James here who can run at players you're right I think that's a fair I don't think we have a lack of them I think it was just really noticeable that their forwards were all doing it they were and they weren't trying to go around our players it was just get the ball and run straight at Leeds United central defenders because they'll panic they don't like backpedalling and they don't like um, having to tackle that way reason I asked about it getting away from us, because when you look back at that first half, though, we were all right. And like Alioski should have scored, for example. Obviously, Roberts came close and Cruel smashed him. Are you saying Alioski should have scored by volleying in that cross from 25 yards out first time that he missed by inches? I think that was a very difficult chance. If, if I threw that ball to you, you wouldn't even be able to hit that. <laughs> That's not true. You wouldn't be able to touch it. At all. You would do a big swing and a miss. That's not true. Should have scored is a very high standard to be setting with a chance like that. All right, then let's rephrase it, because that is just what I've written down in front of me. Could have scored. It was it was a good opportunity. I mean, it came close enough to make you think, well, that was a real missed opportunity. It was the one time Jack Harrison managed to actually get the ball over somebody's head, but it was just a blind punt, and Alioski made something of it by actually imagining himself to be Van Basten for a moment. And if Roof had got a little touch on it as he went through as well, if Butts, Maybes and Kemar Roof, that's that's the first half really, wasn't it? I mean, we can't claim that Robert should have scored from that lob because he managed to get it away quite safely and that was the difference perhaps between Cruel staying on the pitch and not. I think the thing with the, the Cruel challenge was that a lot of people were saying, oh, there was a defender covering behind and stuff. Which it, it's more a problem of goalkeepers in general is this so I I can't sadly play it into our conspiracy theories (laughs) but goalkeepers are basically there seems to be an acceptance that they're shit and they can do what they want like if anyone else if a mid if that ball's in midfield and anyone else jumped like with their hip at someone's head you would quite rightly get a red card because what the fuck are you doing (laughs) because it's a goalkeeper referees kind of go oh he's he's fine he's fine the doors are falling off the car he's got a flower on his lapel that squirts water. He's got a red nose. He's a clown. It's all fun and games and grobbler. No, I completely agree. You can't, it's da- it's reckless and dangerous. You Keepers can, always get away with it. And you can't say it was like a controlled challenge. He no. jumped up in the air and went at him ass first. Head style. If you remember, older folks will look at the 1982 game when uh, Harold Schumacher, the 
goalkeeper broke the face of, um, it was a French forward Batistan. running through, Batistan. Different level of malice perhaps, but not a million miles away. You jump in the air, you turn your back and you go at somebody's head and you don't have any control about what's going to happen next. And that should be a red card, whether there was a chance to score or not. And you contrast that with the yellow card that Kimar Roof got at Bramall Lane for turning his back on the player. And... Um, Mm. Equivalent offence, both yellow carded. I'd completely forgotten about that one. I thought Kimar Roof was going to kill somebody as this game went on. He's getting more and more wound up rightly, but he was the one who you could see was the frustration was really increasing. So you're definitely advocating a red for that then for for cruel. Yes. Yeah, but they're never given because <laughs> keepers just do it. No. There's a long history of keepers just coming out of the box doing absolutely ridiculous things and getting away with it. I remember that this is going back years, but the Turkey, it was called Rustu, the Turkey keeper, was somewhere mm. on the halfway line and like scissor kicked Kieran Dyer in the head and got a yellow card for it. Like, yeah. They just don't know what to do with a goalkeeper when they do something mm. like that and they just, their default is, oh, booking because it's too mad. It's too mad to have done something like that. And on to the F word, for sure. So obviously his mistake for that goal that Pookie scored. His mistake just being on the pitch, really. I mean, you've gone to town on him in your match report on the Squareball website, Moscow. So why are you hating on Forshaw? Is well, it because Bailey Peacock Farrell, you've you've done your dirty <laughs> deeds on him with your post Vidaval video that's mm. obviously sidelined him now? Is he your next target, Forshaw? I like Forshaw. I think he's a very good player. I just haven't yet seen either last season or this season how he can possibly fit into any of the teams that we're trying to field. It's really strange. When he came into the team last year, it was absolutely brilliant. Three and a half million pounds worth of a player who could just keep the ball and pass it, which we didn't have. But that's not enough now. It's in the, the position he's being asked to play in front of the centre-halves. He needs to have the defensive attributes that Calvin Phillips has got. So maybe the, for, the solution with Forshaw is to play in where Click plays. Maybe the solution with Forshaw is to just put him in the bin. It's one or the other, but not playing him in front of the, the defence when we've seen how brilliant, and that's the other aspect of it, you can maybe say that uh, Forshaw's overall performance wasn't that bad, but we've seen Calvin Phillips' performances there being absolutely brilliant, and he's not been there for a while. While all the defenders have been out injured and suspended, Phillips has been shoved all over and hasn't been in that vital role where he was so valuable to us at the start of the season, even when he got subbed off after 25 minutes in a couple of games. But the principle was he should be our central defensive midfielder. And for sure, if you can find a space somewhere else in the team, great. If you can't, don't matter because we've just got to have somebody else there. If it works without him, it works without him. And it doesn't matter if he's any good or not. Or you can debate his attributes and his qualities. It's just whether he actually works in the team. And the Norwich match just shows he doesn't. I've been an advocate for him playing a deeper role before because I've thought possibly based on the fact he's really shit at shooting. Mm. I don't particularly want him playing anywhere behind strikers because I just don't, he doesn't convince me at all. He always pond, he's really ponderous on the edge of the box when chances yeah. fall to him. But he's also a bit ponderous in front of a back four, which when, when you've got a team that presses, he seemed to not, he, he got caught a couple of times and it was from players coming from behind him. It was strikers like mm. tracking back on him. He seems okay when the game's all in front of him, but he, he didn't seem able to cope with the fact that their strikers can run the other way, which is he, a bit concerning because it's has, quite obvious. He has this instinctive, uh, thought as well whenever, whenever he wants to consider his options he's always thinking how can I get this ball back to our goalkeeper that always seems to be his thing he's like working every opportunity in every angle so he can create a, a passing opportunity to get it back to Casilla and I want to get back to Calvin Phillips just banging it down the wings for Harrison or Alioski or Clark or Hernandez well Hernandez won't get there to chase 
Well, the whole style, Bielsa's style, is built around quick vertical passing. We stopped short, obviously, of suggesting long ball, but mm-hmm. getting it forward into the channels now wide quickly. Yeah, and Forshaw doesn't do it, so bin him off. And Bielsa seems to be going that way after the, the match as well, where he's saying, I keep making these selections and they're, they're the wrong ones. So the head coach has a deep responsibility. Of course, he had to take it to that level. But it did sound like he's going like, I need to look at not what we do, because he's never going to change how, like what his teams do, but how and who is doing it um, needs a rethink. And the first thing you think of is uh, been the scouser. <laughs> never been comfortable with a scouse captain of, of Leeds. He's, he's a good player. He's a nice guy. And it, I've got a lot of time for Adam Forshaw as a, as a footballer and a human, but there's a lot that doesn't add up as well. Well, you think we were deflated and I have to admit to being mega deflated on Saturday. I think this is the lowest I felt all season actually in the wake of this, but you think that was bad, what you touched on there. How sad do you think Bielsa felt on Saturday night? I don't know. He kind of lives for this, doesn't he? It gives him something to chew on because he, he doesn't like going to bed. He'll like happy because it's a, it distorts your self-esteem. That's his quote where it's like you getting too happy after a victory. It, it ruins you. It spoils you and getting too down after a defeat. But I think he loves the work he'll have woken up on Sunday morning probably about three in the morning just itching to get to the, the video machine and just start start watching it again it's, over and over it's almost like the, the the process the struggle is the thing that he thrives on he's got work to do my struggle he could maybe write a book with that title <laughs> <laughs> joking joking mm. <laughs> just gonna Maybe well clear of that one different theme <laughs> Roof, though, going back to the game itself, nearly scored straight from that restart. That could have put a different complexion on the second half. I, I sort of had a feeling that you never know, we might pull one of those second halves out of the bag, but wasn't to be. Once the second half started, it, it was never happening. No. The first half, we were we were actually in the game and we had some chances and enough of the ball and obviously the disallowed goal as well. And, and the felt, penalty claim. The penalty claim, which I think, was pushed bit, over. I think was a bit soft. I don't want to see it given against us, so I can't, I'm not going to complain. I would much. love to see it given for us, just oh, for God, once yeah. though, just once. And a bit like the, the Pontus foul on Cruel as well. It was, it's weird when I watched that yeah, back yeah. today. And actually, in, in the, I think he does foul Cruel, but then also Pontus has fouled from the back while also fouling the man in front of him. Mm. I, I saw that and I thought he'd pushed the defender primarily. Yeah. Everyone seems to be pushing everyone. Yeah. You should just call off, right, everyone's had a go at each other and we've scored, goal, fine. <laughs> but the, the roof trying to score straight after the after conceding the second was um, brilliant. And you're right, we were, we were really, really good between the goals and it would have made such a difference to, I think maybe the we would always have remembered Kimar Roof for decades if he'd taken that ball all the way upfield and it was only a good save from Krull that stopped him from scoring it. Would it have eclipsed the Rod Wallace won the goal from 1992 when we'd, we'd already won the title and he was just celebrating? Probably would actually because nothing really mattered, mattered on that match. It was just uh, all the fun of the fair. Whereas that was actually Kimar Roof who I started thinking in this game, he was the one player out there who was going like, right, I'm going to fucking do something about this. If if we can't build a chance, I'm just going to get the ball, score from the kickoff, and we'll get it back to 2-1 and try again. Really putting that grit and effort in. I started thinking he's kind of a low-key candidate for being player of the year this season. Scored a lot of goals, never stopped working, and really needs to be dropped so that Patrick Bamford can play. <laughs> so it's like these two things happening at, at once with, with him, which is kind of weird, but... Yeah, I feel bad for because nothing is really coming off for him in, in the box. He's working his bollocks off. He's, I thought he was going to fight the referee. And then Patrick Bamford comes on, who's, uh, um, as Sean Dyche once told him, he's never had to work for anything in his life. And just within 10 minutes, it's, oh, I'll just, I'll just knock this off the crossbar. And then, no look there. I guess I'll just head in a corner. Ah, 
There's a gold chaps. Is that what you did? You need a few more of those because uh, I could have come on earlier and done that. Just talking about Sean Dyche, and I know why you've dropped his name in, and long-time listeners of the podcast may remember Sean Dyche featuring on this some years back. And well, what, what was it that he said to Patrick Bamford? Um, he did actually straight up bully him when he had him on loan from Chelsea. There's a there's a heartrending interview with Pat Bamford uh, where he basically justifies that he never actually wanted to learn the violin. He only started learning it because his mate was learning it, and because his parents had spent all this money on lessons, they forced him to stick with it until he was grade seven. He's like, and Dodge just just told me I'd never had to work for anything. It's not the struggle people often refer to, is it? The uh, the old struggle to grade seven violin. I think that's what I enjoyed about it most is that when... It was an example of, I've, I've had to work for things in life, don't you worry about that. <laughs> Nothing came easy. That Stradivarius was, uh, I had to polish so much silver to earn the pocket money to buy that. What do you think Deitch said to him though? There's only one actual quote from him in the, in the whole thing. Um, I believe he said, uh, <laughs> you've been brought up nicely, I had everything I needed to you. But then, obviously, um, Patrick said, is that, is that what people think just because I went to private school and played instruments? People don't know. My parents never let me have anything. I, I never even got to eat worms. <laughs> Sean, could I have a worm? Fuck off. Poor old Pat there. Didn't enjoy his loan spell at Burnley whatsoever, did he? But at least he came back and he did a nice header for us and it teased him up for Middlesbrough at the weekend. But yeah, for sure, another mistake for him from the third. What have we concluded from this game then, boys? I think we're just not playing very well at the moment. <laughs> Apart from Derby, who it might be terrible. That might be why we played well. Is this a slump? I think it just seems to me at the moment that key players aren't playing very well. Like Pablo's not been on form for a while. Ailing was terrible, I thought, actually. Yes. Like conspicuously, so I've always I've been a little bit light on them. People having a go at him, but this was the game. Where I was like, ah, that's what they're all on about. Mm. I see it now. So he was poor. I think for sure the position he plays in this team, you can't afford to be bad because it's a crucial cog in the Bielsa machine. He's the fulcrum, isn't he? Yeah, and when that's all not working, you then can't carry people who've been maybe like Jack Harrison, who've been all right in spells, but generally speaking, pretty inconsistent. But they're yeah. not good enough to compensate for the fact Pablo's having a bad time. Janssen needs to calm down. He needs to be more like Liam Cooper. Never thought I'd say this, but <laughs> um, he needs to just chill out and forget about sprinting upfield with the ball and all this mm. stuff and uh, and just concentrate. And Douglas then came on and looked like Tony Capaldi or something. Just <laughs> gave the ball, that's, yeah, that's maybe too much, but <laughs> gave the ball away in a few a few times in crucial positions, just ponderous and maybe maybe, maybe the performance of a man who's not played in a while which is a mm. little bit of that with Ailing, although he's been a long time out of it but he did come straight back from being injured and got mm. straight back in the team without any I think he maybe had a half in the 23s I can't remember but whether that would still restrict them going forward I don't know if Pablo Hernandez's fitness has really gone off a cliff in the last few weeks but I don't remember him being this short a pace earlier in the season maybe it's just because someone like Saiz was doing his running for him so it didn't look as obvious, but we look really not very lively. I think Tyler Roberts has been decent mm. when he's come in quick, sped things up. Jack Harrison's finally found some decent form, but that combination of, like you say, that inspiration from Hernandez seems to have disappeared a little bit and the whole front just looks kind of, I don't know, just really slow. Doesn't it feel like we need a bit of a spark, something new and ironic when you look at what happened with Daniel Jones? Mm. But even then you also look to Izzy Brown and I think maybe that's where the clamour for him's coming from. 
even Patrick Bamford coming back yeah. again as well, offering something different. It'd be nice for the, the other players in the team as well to have just something, someone who might be able to surprise them a bit mm. because it's, we've fallen into maybe a bit of a, a bit of a routine, which I know is what Bielsa's systems are all about is knowing exactly what you're going to do with it. But if it becomes a bit too predictable, even for the players on the pitch, maybe it can feel a bit like going through the motions. We said this when um, Bamford scored his goal against Bolton and we thought he'd be carrying on in the team then, that the passes that you play to Bamford are very different to the way you play to Roof. So there is a potential change there and um, the passes that Izzy Brown may come up with if he gets back in the team or in the team might change the, the dynamic as well. But yeah, you, you kind of know that when Jack Harrison gets the ball, he's going to hit the first man with a cross. When Alioski gets the ball, he's just going to do something absolutely crazy. <laughs> Jack Clark's going to try and cut in and try and beat people. And then you're looking for the cutback. So you kind of, you know what's going to be coming. And a break for some of them, if we had a bigger squad, but again, that's Bielsa's uh, prerogative. Um, like a player like Click, does he need just a, could we put Forshaw there for a, a game or two just to give him a... Rest his legs. Rest his legs. It's what... Um, Bielsa kind of attributed Alioski's drop in form earlier in the season. He said he's played 50 games. He's playing for Macedonia at the same time. He said he's played loads of football, so he's he's just getting tired. And um, th- there is a, there's a tired look about it about it all. But it shouldn't be forgotten that, that between the goals in the first half, the machine was purring. It was working really well. We were Norwich couldn't get out. We were getting the ball every single time and... Uh, and it's building attack after attack. They weren't coming to anything, but we were getting all the pressure on. It's the second half where it all went one way. And what we've not mentioned about the fact that we couldn't win a tackle. That was one of the things that really bothered me, particularly with um, Ailing was a victim, was a, a culprit for this, and Forshaw as well, where they're going steaming in for a tackle and the player just stands there and they've still got the ball. And it's like, what, what happened here? Why did you not win the ball? Or even if they did get a touch on it, and the ball goes loose, Norwich player just appears to, to get it. And that's kind of where my head is. It's, uh, we need a bit of Barardi in there, just somebody steaming and saying, I am having that fucking football, and you canary bastards are not. Michael, bad day at the office then, or are you really worried? Somewhere in the middle, quite worried. I'm not as worried as a lot of people losing their minds over it. Over the last day, I've seen people suggesting we re-sign Alex Mowat, just because he scored from long range at the weekend, basically, and people saying, if that goal, if we'd done that against Norwich we might have got something. Um, and also, the other most ridiculous one I saw was people suggesting we sign Yaya Torre because he's unattached. Your laughter is correct, Oscar. 35-year-old, not played in about a year, was previously earning about £300,000 a week. Yeah. Wouldn't come to Leeds for a pay-as-you-play deal. Oh, but if you make him the offer, though, if Rad's had some money, make him the offer. The birthday cake was a big thing that time. We could do him a cake. So... Are we going up then? How are you feeling about this one now? Another week further down the line? I think I think well, we've talked about losing the mm. defeat in the playoffs. It's another step closer to third and losing in the playoff final. So um, I can't be worried because we're on the path I predicted downwards. Well, I'm going to say we are still going up. But I'm going to revise my prediction mm. now. It's not going to be settled against Villa. It's going to go to the last game of the season, as it does with Leeds. And do you know what's going to happen? On the final game of the season, we're going to be playing to the team at the bottom of the league it's going to be a 1-0 second half victory header from our number nine to seal promotion. Does that sound familiar? Funny how on the last podcast we were talking about us getting messages from Celine Patel in the transfer window when uh, Warnock was in charge. Colin, as he called him, which yeah. is we've seen over the weekend, Colin does not like being called Colin. Does Colin? Colin does not. No, Colin will inadvertently go on the television and complain about being called Colin. That's what Colin will do. 
Nice bit of symmetry with that because we have received a nice thank you message from Salim Lamrani for us sending our Leeds Carajo mugs to Thorpe Arch. They have been uh, gratefully received and we have advised him to drink champagne from them at the end of the season once we're promoted along with the boss. He called us his friends, didn't he? That was nice. I like being considered Salim's friend because um, I wouldn't want to be Best friends, I th- I'd say. We are, wouldn't you? I mean, we, yeah. I've already invited him to a barbecue in summer. He's not, he's not said yes or no yet, but he's, he'll be there, won't he? I bet he's got some recipes. He could rub something into a side of beef that would make your ears fall off. Strangely hasn't replied to our request for a shirtless photo, has he either? No, I think I, think I can see it in my mind. But if you want to be like Salim Lamrani, get your hands on a Leeds Carajo mug. Shirtless? Is that what you mean? If you want to, send us a picture we top off. <laughs> no, don't. Not, no, don't do that. Just buy the mugs. <laughs> just buy, just just buy, buy the, mugs. the mugs, yeah. You can find links to those at thesquareball.net. We will run the rule over this week's heroes and villains after we catch up on this week's events. And what a week it's been, almost in the wake of the Norwich defeat. We forgot about the whole... Dan James saga and I, I drove past Ellen Road on the way in tonight. Lights were on in the East Stand. Thought I could see a little tearful uh, figure there sat in reception still, just waiting. I did enjoy it. Uh, boy. Graham Potter, Swansea's manager, said he didn't play for Swansea at the weekend because he was in the wrong place. <laughs> yes, mentally, physically, figuratively, literally, he should have been in Yorkshire, but he's not. He's going to have to go back to South Wales and uh, and then... I mean, good luck. Just sit there decreasing in value is basically what he's gone back to Wales to do. Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they sell him? Very odd. It's stupid, isn't it? Because their internal wranglings have basically cost them the player Mm -hmm. and money. And it's just, it's mental, isn't it? And and it seems like the guy to blame has has gone from what it it looks like. It's they, they have that split ownership thing where the owners own the club, but the previous owner is still the chairman. But like when we had uh, GFH and Ken Bates overlapping. So the owners did the deal with... Leeds, personally with Andrea Ratrizzani, but because of the way it works at Swansea, it needed Hugh Jenkins, their chairman, to agree to it. And he, it seems like he's the one who... Uh, he's blocked it, gone rogue. It. Gone um, rogue, and then he's just fallen on his sword after the window's closed. Yeah. It'll be all right, Dan. I, I know you wanted to go, but you can come back, you can sit in my office. No, nope, he's fucked off. Yeah. He's just, he's, mo- he's ruined it for him, and then he's, he's left himself. There's been a lot of heat directed from our fans at our end of, of this deal, but it seems like there is absolutely nothing we could do because there was no amount of money. There was no terms of the, the deal. There was no loan arrangement that Leeds could propose that Hugh Jenkins was going to agree to. We had a perfectly good deal with the the owners of the club, but there was one guy who whatever, we could have gone in and said, right, 20 million, and he still wouldn't have done it because he was just, it's a it's a Swansea thing with them just being dicks to each other. And um, it means that we missed out on a a winger and the winger missed out on not playing for Swansea anymore. So do you think that was just a red herring then, the whole anger at our side of things? Because people were lashing out on Twitter, tagging Andrea Radrizzani in it, but whatever you think of the deal, maybe you've made a good point there actually, Moscow, that whatever it was, it was just, you can't make somebody pick up the phone, can you? From his side of it, I mean, he'd done the deal. Mm. It's just that no one was there to sign the last bit of paper that needed signing. I don't see how you can really blame anyone for it other than the Swansea fuck up in the boardroom. The fact that there's there's no one person making decisions there. There has been some perhaps valid criticism of the fact that it went to the final day, but lots of deals mm. got to the final day. And what and again, that was the fact we were dealing with a club where one particular member of their executive did not want to sell Daniel James under any circumstances. Went from offering five mil 
for a straight up transfer. And then it became one and a half million pound loan fee and then seven million pound permanent transfer if we get promoted. So we went up to eight and a half million. Then there was another million and a half added. So we we agreed a deal worth 10 million pounds for the player. So it's not like Leeds weren't putting their hands in their pockets to get him. And then from, uh, we were confident enough on Wednesday for Daniel James to drive up from Swansea on Wednesday nights to have his medical and everything the next day. So it's everyone's like, right, this is going to go through. And it's 11.30. And even when Swansea changed the terms, they said, we want 750 grand now. Leeds said, yeah, we'll do. We'll transfer the money straight away. That's not a problem. And then just nothing. Nobody there and say, oh, yeah, we'll send you our band details in a bit. It's So there's nothing. Leeds agreed to everything. They met every demand. That's almost word for word. Radrid signed his tweet. It sounds like I'm just parroting him now, but it, I just don't see what more um, we could have done to get that that player. And if it comes to a plan B, two aspects of that one, when a, a deal goes south at 11.30 and the guy is sitting in your stadium in a Leeds United shirt, it's not really a lot of time to go and get somebody else. And two, it sounds like Bielsa was offered a wide buffet of wingers to choose from and just went, that guy or nobody, and didn't seem particularly asked anyway. So do you think there's no argument then in the whole we were at fault thing, Michael? There is the thing that it's, on, it's happening on deadline day. The window's been open for ages. Just go out and get it done sooner because then you've also, we would have, you know, maybe won some more games in this period if we'd have actually had him available. And, and also I suppose there's an argument to say we should have signed some more players in summer. It's all of a sudden feels like a bit of a panic in January because now all of a sudden we're top of the league and it feels like a position we can't throw away. But if you're being honest with it, you should just try and finish as high as you can in the table from the first day of the season, not from January, when you've realised you've actually got a chance of going up. Well, it's a bit of a shame with Daniel James. It did seem like he was a good player for more than just this season, that he would have been highly rated enough if we go up. It'll be good. And yeah, we initially tried to get him just on a permanent, so if we'd not gone up, he still would have been good. But uh, we obviously would have had to pay a premium on, on going up. But he was a pro- like we're looking at him, that's a player we can have in the Premier League. If we get promoted, we'll buy him. And Bielsa, I think that maybe is part of... Um, of what he was looking at, because he's been very steady all along saying, I only want some players that will are better than the players that are here and will improve the team for good. And that's the player he thought would do it and short-term options that he's he's maybe been offered. He's gone, nah, I don't want a player who will only do the rest of the season. I want a player who's going to have a lasting impact and is better than, than what we have. Fuck Swansea, that's all I can say. It really is just a case of fucking fuck Swansea. And I know we're treading a well-worn path here, but that's not acting in good faith, is it? That's not agreeing to a deal and then pulling the plug. It's not good faith towards the player, towards us. And people in glass houses and all that, Swansea. People in glass houses. It just all feels very pointless, the whole thing. Mm. I don't see who's benefiting from it, really. I feel like the man who actually done it, who actually did it, has now just left. I presume he's been... If you did that at work, you'd expect to get sacked, probably. Yeah, if you did something completely against your boss's directions... <laughs> I think that's that's generally the, pretty much the same as resigning. And he's done this as like his, his final fuck you before he leaves. And it seems like from what Swansea fans are saying is he's the good guy. Yeah. He, he's been there longer. He's maybe he's, he's, he oversaw their climb from uh, Division 4, overseen a bit of decline as well. But these Americans who've come in and taken them over are just awful. And so he was kind of making a stand against what uh, some fans are seeing as asset stripping that they were going to sell four or five players. And he stopped uh, the Leroy Fair deal fell through for whatever reason. He's just like selling Daniel James is almost the Swansea fans. You'd probably want him in there saying like, no, I'm not. I'm refusing, refusing to sign off on the sale of one of our good players. We would have loved somebody to be doing that with Lewis Cook or with Johnny House and stamping the feet and saying no. But it doesn't help us and I don't care about Swansea. I care about us. 
Well, that transfer didn't happen. We will see if anything happens further down the line. A couple to tidy up from last time. Hadi Sacco uh, went to Turkey just after the recording of the last one, so he's uh, found himself a new home for the next few months Bless anyway. Him. He's a nice lad, isn't he? His, yeah. his Twitter message he put in was like, I'm really sorry it didn't work out, but on, on to the next thing. And he, unfortunately, he has played his uh, first game and it was against Caleb Ekuban's Trabzonspor, so at least he got to see a mate. It's mental in life as a professional footballer. I know it's a nice, easy job and stuff, generally speaking, but you know, to go from being in England to... Spain to Turkey back to England in summer because they're not going to sign him permanently are they it's just a bit crackers and slightly dark term but when you look at what's happened to Emiliano Salah being ferried around on planes between clubs and all those agents that it looks like are invited makes you a bit uncomfortable doesn't it I was nearly going to mention that with the Dan James thing because it doesn't look like the Football League or the FA are going to do anything about that transfer whatsoever but it does bring up a little bit of what we've seen with the Salah transfer with the Mackay involvement, there was a big report outlining how that transfer got done and saying, oh, we've been talking to Manchester United and Chelsea about you, I did the Drogba deal, which Drogba says is all nonsense. And just seeing how a lot of that stuff, it's kind of coming to the surface, but it'll be a little bit like everything serious that happens in football. The FA will just go like, oh no, can't can't we just talk about the spying thing? We'll deal with that because that'll be easy. Dealing with that stuff, mm, too hard, too hard. Some of the younger ones that have gone out then, Sam Dalby has gone to uh, Morecambe on loan. The Shrimps. Yep, and Tom Pierce. Is going gone... Dalby rather than Dalby? Shrimps rather than Shramps. Okay. I can't stress enough how much I enjoy Morecambe being called the Shrimps, mainly because their ladies' team is called the Shrimpettes. By choice, their own choice. They like to be referred to as the Shrimpettes. <laughs> Sounds like a great 60s backing group, doesn't it? It Sounds like a bloody awful one. You wouldn't <laughs> go and see the Shrimpettes. The sound of fish singing. Whether it's Dalby or Dolby, um, he's and got... Sh- are shrimp fish, shellfish, or maybe they're quite generous? <laughs> <laughs> I've got shrimps in my little fish tank. Oh, okay. So do they count as fish? I don't know. Okay, you got any shrimpettes? And moving on to Tom Pierce, who has gone on loan to Scunthorpe, ironically taking over the fullback duties from one Cameron Borthwick-Jackson. He's starting to suspect that uh, old CBJ might not make it in this game. Tough gig that for Tom. But I suspect uh, he's probably a millionaire as well, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, <laughs> for being for stinking out a different club every single season. He still, I suppose, actually technically belongs to Manchester United, doesn't he? Make something of that, Oli Solskjaer, you twat. See what you can do with him. (laughs) And from talk of that left back, well, ours, Douglas, not a stellar return, but he's back in the side. Bamford as well, uh, tidying up the injuries from last time. However, we're still not quite there with Brown. According to Marcelo's maths, still a couple of under-23 games away. Is it, given that we are now paying for him, to close out the topic from the last podcast, is it time to get him involved in the first team? I'm interested to see if Marcelo may, may do some new sums over the next few weeks. It always struck me as something that might be quite flexible. That he, he Ideally, with the kind of player he is and the kind of long-term injury he's had, he needs seven or eight under-23 matches to get up to full match fitness. He played another 90 minutes for the under-23s on Saturday, 2-2 draw, Birmingham, scored a free kick. Might be time to say that full match fitness is one thing, but being fit enough to actually start contributing to the first team is another. Um, so bringing him in on the bench, getting him into the, time, the team, getting him involved again. It can't be far away. And the, there is that difference. Full match fitness and, and fit enough are two different things. And worth taking a risk on potentially because he's not our player. So if he breaks down, we've not lost anything, have we? I mean, I mean, I'm in serious as well. It's what? Why not just give it a go? Is it like a hire car? You can drive it, drive it badly. <laughs> just pay the excess. <laughs> S- 
scream it back into the depot when you've finished, <laughs> finished driving it. Oh, it's been perfect, mate. Thanks. I mean, <laughs> having just taken a, a, a high moral stand on the modern football's treatment of its players, <laughs> aka its workers, I think, no, yeah, just fuck him. He only belongs him. to Chelsea. Well, exactly. Work him hard and see what we can get out of him. <laughs> they can afford it, can't they? I, I genuinely hadn't uh, considered looking at it that way, but now you say it like, yeah, if he breaks down again, it's not our fucking problem. We're not playing him as it is. Try it. If he breaks, fine. Send him back. <laughs> Jamal Blackman, part two. It's all right. Chelsea may start to get a little bit suspicious about our, <laughs> about the state we're sending our uh, their loan players back in, but the one that didn't break down was Lewis Baker and fucking what good was him? Berardi and Dallas, at least are a couple of days closer to them coming back. Dallas is obviously a way off, but... Um, Berardi, hopefully, like you say, come back in, just give everyone a little lift because he's uh, he's mental, isn't he? It could maybe be used to toughen Izzy Brown up. The boss says it says you're going to take eight games. I reckon we can get that down to six. <laughs> just walk this way. Me and Salim Lamrani want a word. And we touched on Bamford there. He was mentioned, um, which has let me segue nicely into this. The new honorary president, David Lascelles, the eighth Earl of Harewood. The announcement for this made in front of uh, a portrait, which is different to the, the club. He's, he's had nothing handed to him. He's had to earn that portrait. let <laughs> <laughs> sit there for a few hours. I was just going to make the uh, the joke that was made online, which was, you imagine that Patrick Bamford, being as uh, as hoity-toity as he is, was disappointed that he didn't get a, a portrait unveiling rather than the standard club video. Well, nobody just thought to ask. You don't think that when you're signing a player. Oh, have you got a, an oil painting we can use for your intro? Patrick's probably too shy to say to I've mention got one. it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. He's definitely got one of him wearing a blazer. Oh, I'd, I'd love With them. the family Labrador by the side of him. Did you see the uh, the photos of the new Legacy range that Leeds United have launched, the clothing yes. range, with them um, all... Uh, it was at Orton Hall, I think, that's photos with uh, Eddie Gray sitting in a chair like an old like patriarch of the family and uh, Jack Clark standing next to him like his uh, his errant son being about to be sent off to packed away to boarding school and then Tony Dorigo just hanging around for no apparent was it Luke Ayling as well is uh, yeah he's on those looking like a, a big schoolboy. you gonna get any of that gear probably not I'm no. quite tight <laughs> <laughs> looks expensive that photo shoot uh, is any of it less than 10 pounds mm, don't think it's gonna be quite Matalan might be eventually <laughs> yes very true <laughs> If we want to actually say something about our new honorary president, better than it being Ken Bates, Correct. as he uh, installed himself as after Lady Harwood had how died. Have got, how have we got away with that? How do you mean? Because wasn't it an honorary thing that he was sort of guaranteed? Did, at some point, did we just tell him to fuck off? We GFH sacked him, didn't they? Yeah, the, oh, it was right? the whole... Uh, the private plane. Private plane from Monaco, uh, along with all his other expenses, and they basically went, this is enough to tell you to fuck off, so we're telling you to fuck off. Um, because we want to talk to Massimo Cellino more often. <laughs> It, yeah, so it was after the Earl of Harewood had died that Bates had his, his little interruption and then um, Lady Harewood came back in last year before she sadly passed on. And now it's David. They are genuinely Leeds United through and through, proper fans. I know the Earl previously was very close to Don Reavy, so they do have bona fides apart from just being ridiculously rich for just owning stuff. And one more bit to do then before we close this section out and move on to the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Uh, the Blasphemy Baton, a new thing we could possibly, uh, a nice catchy name introduced here to the podcast. Uh, if you were listening a few podcasts ago, we discussed Stoke manager Nathan Jones being quite religious uh, in his outlook. Uh, he summoned the power of God to beat us. Then Preston went to Stoke and beat them, thus inheriting the Blasphemy Baton. Now Preston carrying the baton played Derby at the weekend which creates an awful conflict for us, the potential for Frank Lampard's team, Frank Lampard's Derby County, no less, to inherit the blasphemy baton. But it was nil-nil. 
which I think means that uh, Preston currently retaining the baton. Yeah, Frank Lampard has no business in the eyes of God. Is that how it works then? If you if you draw, your, your, it's like the Ashes or the Ryder Cup or something. If you draw, you that's enough to retain. Yeah, mm. yeah I mean, uh, what did Christ do with the, the moneylenders at the temple? He cast them out. He won't have any any of the Redknapp Lampard family in his in his domain, in his house. So Preston travelled to Bolton at the weekend. Uh, so the baton will remain in Lancashire for the time being. I mean, Yorkshire is God's county. They need to... Can Sheffield United beat one of these teams or something so we're at least got the, the light of the Lord on the right side of the Pennines? Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Eyes on Middlesbrough shortly, but first this, we'll pick our heroes and villains from across the last seven days. First is the Villainy Award, sponsored by, named in honour of, Ken Bates, who brought us plenty of misery across the years. And as is customary, nomination number one goes to Ken himself. Because I could imagine him, he'll have been well in bed before it happened, but waking up in the morning and getting the news about Daniel James not making it uh, over the line for Leeds and laughing so hard that Mars tits will probably be trapped in the mangle again. And I don't like imagining Ken Bates laughing or his Mars tits or his tits, <laughs> whichever are more securely embedded in the mangle. You see, now I'm struggling to move on because all I can think of is that image. But See, um, that's why he's, he's a strong candidate for actually winning it this time. Who else do you want to nominate? Tim Krull, just for being a man with no control of his limbs throughout the game, really. And afterwards. And afterwards. No control of his forehead. Yeah. Although, I mean, I think there's been a bit too much grasping about this game. of wanting, That's definitely a penalty and, you know, he should have been sent off. I mean, he did a bit of stupid stuff. But picking a fight with, of all people, Pat Bamford, like he, it's why I think, well, you didn't go and pick a fight with Pontus Janssen, did you? That, oh, I've got to go and sort Bamford out. And they, did you see the interview that came out after the game? He was talking about how uh, Daniel Farkas said before the match, they're not Barcelona. It's just Leeds. They're not Barcelona. Go and treat them with humility and respect, but don't fear them. And then um, when he was asked about the Bamford into, uh, incident at full time, he said, yeah, their striker, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Bamford, is it? Yeah, he was getting it. And it's like, 
that's not humble. That's not respectful. That's not a uh, fair play. I don't think pretending you've forgotten the name of uh, of the striker that you were going to headbutt for no reason. Yeah, I've got no time for uh, floppy head Tim Krull. He's just um, he's never been that good, and he's just not ever interesting enough to be this annoying. <laughs> Agreed. You know, a bit like Norwich. Yeah, we're never going to shake them off, are we? It's going back to the fucking League One days when we had all this. Norwich were our rivals, and I thought at least when they went to the Premier League with all our players, it's like, fine, get some out of our hair for a while. I'd rather have a, a title race with Sheffield United and have a bit of a 1989-90 rerun. Not these fucking idiots, they've got nothing to do with it. This is the depressing <laughs> thing about about this level, I think, is that we get, we've get we had to get dragged into rivalries, with, mm. and it, social media makes it worse because you end up seeing it all the time, with clubs that, I don't give a fuck about Norwich. I think they're quite nice, they're a nice club. Nothing um, wrong with them whatsoever. All of a sudden, we're meant to hate them, and we get dragged. And like last year, we ended up in a, like with Reading. Reading. If we were not in the same division as Reading, and they went out of business, I doubt I'd notice. <laughs> At some point, I'd just say, "What league are Reading in now?" And someone would go, "Oh, they they folded like four years ago." I'd be like, "Oh shit." <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. What have they done with the stadium? Just knocked it down. Built a weight trails. It was terrible. Yeah, people of Reading decided they like it more. Well, we're saying we don't want any beef with Norwich. Shall we go on to their um, their local football reporter, Michael Bailey of the Eastern Daily Press, who I didn't realise, but the day before the game, I was on Radio 5, um, leaving this nonsense behind me and going on national radio in the morning to Adrian Charles. And this guy was on the phone as well, trying to get some Leeds v Norwich preview going. He didn't say anything really. He, he tried to say something funny because Charles and Charlie Webster were joking about being in small studios. He was like, oh, I'm in the small studio as well. Oh, yeah, it's great. you're in Norwich. Yeah, well, basically. But he, yeah, he passed me by kind of neutral, mainly because I didn't really let him say anything. But then his tweets from the fucking game. Like this podcast, isn't it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that if you said more interesting stuff, you'd get more in. Oh, that sounds terrible. I'm not that much of a bastard. I am where this twat's concerned, though. His most egregious transgression during the match was, you know, when the white noise started coming out mm. of the, the PA, which happens at Elland Road, like that's happened plenty of times. If I it didn't, remember. I'd be disappointed. Yeah, it's just because the whole place is fucking fucked. So <laughs> it's going to happen. But yeah, he t- tweeted, this is ridiculous. I've never witnessed anything like it. When Deer passed one, two, three into the box, then the PA blares out white noise at full volume and it stops just after Clasia claims to distract across. He's since claimed, after half a lead's piled into him on Twitter, that he was just joking. That's the standard Twitter climb down, though, now. I was just joking. Oh, oh I was fishing. Fishing, caught a yeah, fishing yeah. emoji. But then if if he was it's joking... supposed to be a serious bloody journalist. And if it was, I think part of it says, like, oh, you don't understand my uh, my style. I'm kind of, I'm funny like this. What's but, his name? Uh, Michael Bailey. That's it. None of the Norwich fans in his uh, replies to that thought he was joking there at all. There was one, my particular favourite one was, have Leeds no morals? As if they were all taking it absolutely seriously. This was a deliberate attempt for us to influence the match by playing white noise through the speakers. And it's just fucking nonsense. Because it would have have had an equal chance of distracting our players. Exactly. It distracted me. I'll be honest, I soiled myself. (laughs) I didn't know what it was. The book, John Ronson book, The Men Who Scare at Goats, there's a talk about them, like the studies about them blasting the enemy with noise Mm. to make weird stuff happen. But we've not got to that. I really don't believe we have, particularly in the context of 
a PA system it hasn't ever worked in no. my 25 years of going to Ellen Road. Yeah, I, pointed, you, I tried pointing out on the Twitter as well, we had a scoreboard that didn't work for three years. They still haven't mastered pulling pints yet. No. <laughs> it seems to always get busier about quarter to four. <laughs> How often would somebody like this think, oh, that's just the sort of thing Leeds would do? How often do they think we'd do it? How often do they think we would get away with just like once every couple of games just blasting out white noise when somebody's got a chance to score? It's That's not going to go on for very long before the, the FA go, oh, there's something we can investigate. We'll put a stop to that. Well, you draw a parallel with Phil Hay, who, and this guy did the same thing as well on Twitter, this Bailey chap. Phil obviously has Leeds United sympathies. He's not a Leeds fan. He's no. a Hearts fan, but obviously deeply attached to the club. He's very involved in it. And he knows who he's speaking to mm-hmm. when he's tweeting and reporting and commenting on the matches. But Phil has a duty to, and successfully executes the duty, to tell us when we're being wrong. This guy didn't. He was just simply playing to the crowd, wasn't he? His own crowd. What as well was interesting was after the game, he put a tweet out that said, ah, I see I've got a lot of replies. I look forward to uh, reading through some of those as if he was going to really relish reading them. And then about an hour later, he was putting up um, like a big thread of tweets, um, basically crying about being constantly called a nonce. And it was... um, (laughs) So if he had gone fishing, he'd he'd got considerably more shrimps on his line than he'd ever bargained for. Because yeah, if, if you if you go fishing with Leeds fans, you're probably gonna nonces light. I'm not in favour of people calling each other nonces on Twitter. I I don't think that's a good thing. I think civility and discourse is uh, needs to be brought back into our society's conversation. But call this twat what you like. He's clearly a knobhead. And it goes back to what we've spoken about in previous weeks that sort of talk sport level of engaging controversy and then yeah that but whole- even being worse you know and going oh well i was only joking has yeah. this guy ever been dogging unconfirmed unconfirmed but yeah it was that whole relishing thing of like oh i see i've got some people in my mentions this is going to be fun and then it's like well that wasn't fun people were calling me names either go all out for it yeah. or just avoid it yes it's, it's, not, it's not difficult is it when no. you're a journalist as well yeah report on your team is he a journalist because the eastern daily press sounds like one of those fake news websites uh, south end news network mm. yeah yeah it does doesn't it i was about to say that they did let him on radio five but then they let me on as well so i was like maybe maybe not uh, we should mention some of the uh, the Swansea people as well. Hugh Jenkins for scuppering um, the Dan James deal. Surely he has mm. to get a mention because he's even fallen on his sword. So that's a an admission of culpability. Also because his name sounds like Hugh Jenkins. It's really difficult to say. I don't like it. Uh, slightly controversial, but an extension of that, I would like to nominate Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II because she could have pulled rank because she owns all the Swans. So she could have sanctioned that deal at half past ten. Isn't it more fashionable to go after Meghan Markle these days? You're picking the wrong the wrong royal. But the, those swans are not hers. Well, that's that's by sound. If it's come to the Queen, I'm sure Pat's got the number in his phone. At least have, at least have uh, Harry's number, won't he? Would we settle for like a swan? If we can't have Daniel James, we just have a swan. Put it on the wing. I bet Ken Bates eats swans. Of course, just to throw it in there. Yeah, and I bet Bielsa could make a, a player out of a swan as well. <laughs> Like, That's what he was trying to do. Here's your new signing, Marcelo. Brilliant. I see a uh, Calvin. You're no longer at CDM. <laughs> I've, I've found my new number six, Steve Signet. <laughs> so, any final calls then for these uh, villains? Uh, yeah, this is a bit of a, a niche one and a personal one, but it's about making Leeds fans miserable. I'm a Leeds fan. It made me miserable. You've seen on Twitter how all you have to do these days is go into Costa Coffee in Weatherby and you will see Marcelo Bielsa hard at work. I do really like that all the people who see him there are just taking photographs from a distance and then tweeting them and going like, I'm really too frightened to interrupt him, which I think is correct. I went into a Costa Coffee in uh, Nutsford in Cheshire. Um, this you a millionaire? Week. 
very, being there was very much against my will, but there I was. And if you think the uh, the class of person you get in there is... Uh, well, a lot of the Man City squad will live around there, won't they? Who did you see? Did you see... Aguero or um, John Stone certainly has a mansion in the town. I I, I know this much, so I, some, I great have been fo- some great footballers. There. Keeping my eyes out, and if uh, Bielsa spends his time in public coffee shops honing his tactics, thought Pep Guardiola learnt a lot from Bielsa, who's really inspired and follows him in everything he does. Perhaps I'd see him there working out a, a game plan to beat uh, Arsenal or something. Who'd you get though? Paul Butler. Oh. Do you know what he was doing? Drinking coffee. He was drinking uh, hot chocolate with uh, full cream and marshmallows, actually. And he was, uh, him and his mate were leering out the window, making uh, remarks about passing women. Does he still look like a uh, oversized member of Oasis? Yeah. If you Google Paul Gallagher, the third Gallagher brother, that's Paul Butler. He looks like, um, look like one of the tribute bands that might play in the pavilion after mm-hmm. the game. Yeah. Hey, we could do something with this, actually. Spottings of former Leeds United players. The more obscure, the better, I think. Have you seen any? Um... Closest I came was when I went for, I think it was a long weekend away, a year or two back, little holiday park in Lancashire called Ribby Hall. It's mm-hmm. not bad. Sean Gregan Soccer School was there. I think he must live in the area. That sounds like a very short course. <laughs> so, yeah, so between us, we've probably seen the worst centre-half pairing of uh, of Leeds United's modern times. There's, you can't think of a few worse than and I've seen, obviously seen, I've obviously seen Paul Green at the soft play in Pontefract. So we've got we've got three members of the team there. It's quite a strong lineup, I have to say. Yes, well, it, it feels more like a blight than a pleasure running into these. Well, if you do spot anybody, minor, annoying, whoever it might be, uh, just get in touch and let us know who you spotted and we'll give you a mention on the forthcoming podcast. But back to business, we need a villain. Ken Bates, Hugh Jenkins, Her Majesty the Queen, Elizabeth II, Tim Krul, that whoever it was from the Eastern Daily Bugle. <laughs> yes. Uh, give it to Jenkins. He's the only one who's done anything actually wrong. And he kept me up all night as well. I was hoping 11 o'clock had come round even earlier. James has signed, right, go to bed. Instead, it's midnight and you're still just reading tweets. I was out that night on a leaving do and I didn't even think to check my phone because before I went out, it was like, yeah, it's happening. It's all done. They're just like waiting to release, do the really, the sort of signing video and mm. stuff. Got back into my hotel room at about half past one, checked my phone. And went, oh, very Leedsy, very <laughs> Leedsy this. Hugh Jenkins, congratulations. On to something more positive than that. Somebody, and this might be slim pickings this week, uh, somebody who has brought us a little bit of joy across the last week. This is the uh, Andy Hughes Hero Award, obvious uh, candidate, Salim uh, Lamrani, for dropping us a note. Very mm-hmm. nice of him to do that. Our Thank friend. You. Yeah. Oh, we did send him a free mug, though. So Yeah, but he's taken it as a gesture of friendship. So Olive Branch accepted. So we're now great mates. So I'm happy. He could have just like taken the mug and said nothing like Marcelo Bielsa clearly has. Yeah. Never liked him. He'll be working on something bigger. <laughs> Bielsa actually can have a nomination for um, the various pictures he's had with people and the, the pictures people have then sent him and he's written nice letters back. And Although yes. one of them was to Graham Bandera, which is a bit of a shame. Giving lollipops yeah. as well to kids. I know that's normally frowned upon, but in this context, absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. If it's Bielsa, that's, that's fine. And the video of that as well was... It did look a little bit like he was using them to kind of fend the children off. Because he came out of the bus like pre-lollipops in hands as if, oh God, there's going to be kids there. Like, I'm going I'm going lollipops first. Don't talk to me. Just Throw them, Salim. Throw them. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a lovely gesture. And certainly those, uh, the messages that he's writing on the kids' drawings and stuff, is he's such a nice man. And to temper Daniel Hamed's uh, disappointment at not joining us on deadline day, I think we should at least give him an honorary mention for telling Swansea that he wanted to join Leeds. I'm being pictured in our kit, which he may yet get to wear one day. 
if fingers, he's lucky. Fingers crossed for the lad. Anybody else? Phil Hay. Oh. I think um, after the month he's had, <laughs> it is, uh, it's only fair to recognise, having criticised one local football reporter down in Norwich, I think to recognise, uh, I know he's been nominated for a sports journalism award, an actual legit one, hasn't he? But that has nothing compared to being nominated for Square Ball Hero of the Podcast. Um, how he has managed to get through everything that comes his way on Twitter without calling anybody out, drunkenly slagging anybody off, breaking down and smashing all the windows at the YEP, especially when something like what happened on deadline night happened, the temptation to just throw his phone into Whitehall Road and give up his job and just go and start reporting on his beloved hearts <laughs> must have been very strong. And yet he just quietly, diligently got on with finding out what had happened, reporting it, and I hope he he's all right. <laughs> Essentially, January just seems like a tough month for the fella. I was going to say, this is a guy, when you factor in the summer transfer window, who essentially spends... About 20% of his entire year fending off tweets saying any news, Phil. So I think, especially given that he's been shortlisted for the Sports Journalism Award, we should give him this, get in there first. Yes. And then he's got the award that matters. Yeah, and then if we don't get um, thanks in his uh, acceptance speech, we can nominate him for villain next time, the ungrateful swine. Well, genuine dilemmas for the weekend off the back of that heart-rending defeat. We've actually got options. Who are you going to play? Because we've got people returning from injury and maybe some people need replacing as we've dealt with extensively in the first half of the podcast. Who are you going to pick? Do you want me to go like Bielsa and name my team now? I was going to suggest after a defeat, we put Eddie Gray in charge and pick the kids. (laughs) That's the standard default response. The under-23s are six points clear at the top of their division. There you go then. Put them all in. Yeah. I would be tempted in this game to play... A back three, which I don't even know why I'm discussing this because, I mean, I don't know anything like as much as Bielsa. But I was thinking about this because they're the team of giants, aren't they? And so I'd like to see Halmer somehow stuck in there just to combat the fact that they're going to bombard us with long throws again. They tend to only play one up front, though. So um... Yeah, but then when they get a throw in, everyone, all the giants just congregate in the area. And it also gives the option to drop Ailing if we play him because it means we can give Shackleton a go without having... Uh, so you want all our tall players on the pitch, but you also want Shackleton, Shackleton on the pitch. Two, foot, two of him, yeah. And this is why you're not in charge of Leeds United. <laughs> yeah, I've not thought it through. No, it was to compensate though. You, you're losing one area because Ailing's not that good in the air anyway. So you might as well have a, a bit of pace at least on the wing and someone who's a bit more comfortable on the ball because Ailing, short of trying to win a free kick every time he loses the ball, which he's... Remarkably good at. Yeah. I don't know how referees are so generous to him, in all honesty. He's started getting cheers for it now, I've noticed as well. Yeah, I just think it gives us something a bit different and maybe give Ailing a bit of a kick up the house as well. I noticed with Ailing against Norwich how little time he's spending in Norwich's penalty area compared to the start of the season. Mm. It really highlighted like he was overlapping all the way and on their byline. A little bit like Douglas and Alioski are quite good at getting there. Not so good when they get there, but it's noticeable that he just Jack Clark was just given the ball and kind of left to it and Ailing just wasn't getting where he needed to be. Whereas little Jamie Shack, he's pretty good at getting forward, just not that good at... Uh, well, he's not a defender, so like expecting him to be good at the defensive side is... I do no. wonder as well if they're not bombing on as much is due to Phillips not being there in midfield because he, when that happened, Phillips dropped and mm. became like a centre and then it kind of temporarily became a back three for a while yeah. and it, it gave us the the options to overload and when Forshaw's playing that position, he doesn't seem as disciplined to do that. So we're dropping Forshaw. Dropping Forshaw, yeah. So Phillips goes back in. And I think there's probably not going to be dramatic changes. I think we know Bielsa's style by now is he'll 
spend the week torturing himself trying to come up with a new plan and it'll be the same as the old plan. But I think that is the one. I think Phillips will be back. I think Roof will probably start again, but Bamford is clearly now an option from the bench. And then my other sort of promised change is, uh, is Berardi back, but he's nowhere near fit enough. So the, the rest of it will kind of be pretty much as was. I don't really see Shackleton or Halme coming in, even though I see the logic. So you said last time out that you're terrified of just about every game. Now are you still terrified about this one? Uh, yep. You want a nice, soft home win after after a performance. You want Bolton at home after that, that game. Not a really tough away game against some Giants. But will we win? Nah. I think we're winning this. Uh, win yes, again, I, do. I, I think we're going to win every game between now and the end of the season. I'll, I'm wrong. I will be wrong, but I'm still going to go for it because I still feel optimistic and I still think we're going to go up. I think Middlesbrough have done the thing that Middlesbrough always kind of do, where at the start of the season they're incredibly cocky because they've spent millions on players and they've got a new manager that they all think is great. And then they've clearly already, within a couple of months, they were all like, they were bored of Pulis. All he does is play long ball. Yes, you're not been paying attention yeah, but we thought it would win. So it's that whole thing of like knowing how to get, I mean, he's got them in a, a good place. They're up near the top, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of happiness up there. And then uh, signing John Obi Mikel, who's still only 31. He can't be 31. He's been around forever. I seem to remember Man U trying to sign him and then he went to Chelsea in the end, but I'm sure he was about 12 when that happened. Yeah, he was on, and it, it's a little bit like when you come up with how old, how old Johnny House and how he's getting up to... That's 20, always, 23 is 23. 23 forever. I think he's lost his place to John Obi Mikel, which is just one of those things that would only really happen in a Tony Pulis team or a Frank Lampard team. It's like that Ashley Cole thing. People complain about our January business, but at least we haven't just gone for like the most championship manager signing you can possibly imagine. Oh. Until we get Yaya Torre on the free. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I just don't think... It's a little bit like... We beat Norwich earlier in the season and then they came back and obviously have done a number on us. We drew with Borough, but I don't think there's going to be, I think the, the spin is going to be in our favour. We'll have worked Pulis ball out, whereas Pulis won't have worked Bielsa ball out for this one. I think we've got this. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope we don't return next time out with uh, cricks in our neck from looking at all those high balls that no doubt who scored.com, I, I guess... Good at long throws. I had a look at what it says about I don't them. care. It, I don't care. Do you care, Michael? I think we know. Is it good at long throws? It was the fucking mixer. That's what yeah, their strengths excellent. are. The fucking mixer. And getting it into it. <laughs> in and around it or just straight just into it? Just straight into it. No time for being in and around where the mixer's concerned. Like in and around your mixer in a This is Tony Pulis we're talking about. There's only one destination and that's the mixer. Well, we face Daniel James's Swansea. Be interesting to see if he... Uh, if he features there at all, or whether he tries or not, straight after that, which is when we've got our new uh, issue of the square ball hitting the streets and the internet as well. Uh, check that out online as well. Same place for the merchandise. It's all at the squareball.net. Season rolls another week closer to conclusion. How are we feeling now? Sick. Uh, helpless. And on that high note, we'll bid you farewell. <laughs> we'll speak to you next time. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack. 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.